morning, everyone. How are we? Good, lads. How are you? How are you, CJ? Good. Good. Good on, Jonesy. Feeling good after a long eight-hour sleep last night? We're going to talk about sleep today, I think. Yeah. That was a pretty poor segue. When I really fell flat and just looked at me like, what? <laughs> Well, anyway. no, well, to be honest, Chris, no, because sleep. Uh, oh, my oh. sleep lately has been sucking balls. It's oh. um, it's it's but shit. We'll um, stop doing that, and that might help, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't know. It's it seems to be the last six months. I've I've had a look at it. I'm I'm sort of waking up in my in, at around two three a.m. and cannot get back to sleep. My mind just starts going bang. It's on. Uh, my, my, my initial half of my sleep, which is your, your non-REM sleep is deep. So I, I have no trouble falling asleep and I'm like, bang, I'm comatose. But then I'll wake up at two or three in the morning and it'll take me maybe half an hour, 40 minutes to get back to sleep. Wow. Oh, yeah. Interesting. You having dreams, mate? No, no, no dreams. dreams. Nah. Um, so this is, this is a great little podcast and, and I have been looking into it to help myself uh, and just before I go on, any a lot of the information that I'll talk about today come from the Huberman Lab, and I'll just recommend anyone that's listening to this um, who had has trouble sleeping and, and maybe experiencing the same as me. On the eighth of August, one of his episodes, the Sleep Toolkit um, that um, Huberman uh, put out on his podcast, was so helpful for me. Um, so if I can just relate of any any part of that information plus some more on on this chat, uh, that's good. But Rue, did does he touch on uh, the sort of the sort of relationship between uh, following a um, a keto diet and sleep? Does he talk about that at all? No. Yeah. No, no. and I have thought about that, mate. I have thought that there if is there a nutrition nutritional deficiency that's causing my sleep interruption? Yes, there's an interesting. Um, I don't know if it's a theory, but there's some interesting science around, obviously, in uh, ketosis, you know, your body has to work a little bit harder to, to make energy and that sort of stuff. Um, and obviously, the brain needs sugar. The brain runs on sugar. It can run on, you know, ketones and stuff like that, but prefers, yeah. prefers to run on uh, glucose. But essentially, when you follow a, uh, a keto diet and you're in, you're in ketosis, you can stimulate slightly higher levels of cortisol, which can uh, mess with your sleep. Okay. So a lot of people who struggle with sleep who are, following um, a keto diet really do well with um, taking some exogenous ketones uh, or some amino acids before bed. Okay. Uh, and that can help with deep sleep throughout the night. So I don't know if that's something you've explored or I haven't, mate. come no, across. No. Uh, but a lot of people do do quite well on that. Yeah. yeah. So would you say some amino acids? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I do take essential or, or amino exogenous ketones. So some ketone esters or something like that. Yeah. Okay. They're pretty expensive, but yeah. you could you could try it. Must sort of mess around with it and see if it's um something that helps you. Yeah, you know, I guess we can talk about supplementation as we go. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe we could talk about the sleep cycles initially. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Might have put the um horse in front of the cart there, or yeah. vice versa, whatever yeah. it is. But um, so I guess we got it's it's quite a if you think about it, it's quite an ancestral topic. Sleep. Every living organism on the planet follows sort of a circadian rhythm. If anyone doesn't know what that is, it's sort of a 24-hour cycle based on the setting and the rising and setting of the sun and everyone's sort of internal rhythms are based around that. So when it was dark, there's some release of hormones, we get ready to go to sleep. When the sun starts coming up, there's a different release of other hormones, cortisol and whatnot, and then we wake up. And that sort of rhythm has been around for 
for probably millions or billions of years as long as the sun's been around. So, mm. so initially we've got our circadian rhythm and then when we do fall asleep, we're, we have sort of several sleep cycles, non-REM and REM sleep. And I reckon that, that your sleep cycles sort of go in 90-minute uh, waves. Yeah, yep. And you have about four to six 90-minute cycles throughout yeah. the night depending on what time you're going to bed and what time you're getting up. It depends where you look. Some people say it's more about the sleep cycles that you get. So you, you should be getting sort of three to four a night if you're not getting that. You know, it's, it's maybe not about the amount of hours you're getting but the amount of sleep cycles you have. But it, it depends where you look, mm. I suppose. So well, the, the brain's sort of still active whilst you're asleep, responds to sort of a multitude of stimuli that's going on. So you drift in and out of various stages of sleep throughout the night. So you've got sort of non-REM non sleep. I think they call it N1, 2 and 3. Mm. So N1 is when you're transitioning to sleep, that sort of first bit, falling asleep, sort of 5 to 10 minutes, you're getting drowsy. N2 is probably 50% of your sleep time, sort of takes 10 to 25 minutes. Your eyes stop moving, your heart rate slows, your body temperature goes down. And I think if you listen to Huberman, he talks a lot about body temperature and that being mm. a marker for falling asleep, waking up, possibly waking up in the middle of the night. I don't yeah. know if maybe you're too hot or whatever I've, it might be. Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. So then N3, restorative phase, we've got sort of an increase in hormones, cellular repair, uh, you know, blood goes directly to muscles for, for repair and things like that. And then you've got... So that sort of cycle takes sort of 70 to 90 minutes. Then you've got REM sleep, which is about 20% of your sleep time. When you so are that, non, that non-REM sleep is pretty much to say your first, your first part of your sleep. Yes. That's, that's your deepest, deepest your first part phase. of your sleep. Yep. So yep. your deepest is uh, the, the stage three of the non-REM, isn't it? So that's yes. your deep sleep. Yeah, 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 that's where your brain waves drop right down to a, quite a low yep. yeah. uh, kilohertz. You, you know, you're very deeply... Yep. Sort of resting, your brain is uh, slowing right down, isn't and it? And as you mentioned there, Jonesy, there's a lot of rejuvenation and body repair goes on. So during that time, during that time, there's a lot of physical rejuvenation like yep. of your cells and 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 all that sort of stuff. Grow, growth hormone production and cellular repair and yeah, right, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that good stuff. And you're just about to get into the REM level, which is sort of like your second half. Yeah. And as I as I was reading somewhere, that REM cycle. Sorry, to cut you off. I'll, I'll just butt in here. That's where a lot of people have problems of sleep, as I just mentioned earlier. So that, that REM half of your sleep, of your night, your cycle, is where most of the most of the uh, problems of sleep occur. Yeah, yep. So REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, it's called. You, you're almost completely paralysed. Your muscles are paralysed. You've got shallow breathing, uh, rapid eye movement, as they say. Uh, it's important for neural connections between sort of memory and cognition and things like that. So in each cycle through REM and non-REM is about 90 minutes and you want to f kind of flow through these cycles naturally and wake without an alarm, sort of using that circadian rhythm. Obviously the modern ancestral man is probably going to have some bright light at night. They're not really making, when it's dark, they're not making their fire, sitting around the fire anymore. We've got the the big bright lights. So we'll talk about sort of making a sleep environment or making a, a nice sleep sanctuary, maybe we should call mm. it a bit mm. later on because we're not like 
we are the modern ancestral man. We're not ancestral man. We're not around the cave. You know, so we talk about that circadian rhythm when it gets dark, melatonin's released into the bloodstream. You know, and then when your eyes and skin sense the morning light, you've got serotonin and cortisol released. We probably don't do that as much anymore as, as modern man. We don't, we're not, we're not right. We're not going to sleep when it's dark and waking up when it's light. We're probably tweaking that a little bit. So I guess there's probably a lot of sleep issues that people are having because of our modern lifestyle. So we'll probably give some tips on how to create a good sleep environment. But so that's sort of our circadian rhythm and our sleep cycles. So that REM cycle, that's less deep. It's, it's, a, it's a shallow cycle than the non-REM, isn't it? REM's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at it on a, an EEG, like an electroencephalogram that measures your brainwaves, REM sleep looks a lot like being awake. Exactly, that's what I read. Which is really fascinating. Yeah. And like CJ said, you, you become paralysed because otherwise you start dreaming and your brain activity is quite similar to wakefulness. Your body paralyzes yourself so that you can't like act out what's happening in your dreams. Otherwise, you're going to start, you know, getting up and walking around and doing shit. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to be asleep. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that it's feeling, you know, when when you wake up and you think, oh, was I asleep or not? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have this sort of three-quarter sleep. But mm. Your brain's actually, still, like you say, your brain's actually active like you are awake. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah, REM's, well, REM's what's really amazing about that? What's amazing about that point, Matty, is that there's actually been some studies done on the brain in relation to that, and um, people in dream states uh, are having the same physical experience as though they were actually having the experience. Mm. So the body can't determine the difference between the experience itself and the thought of the experience. I found that really, really amazing to think about. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. And so, from, so, Mickey, is that sort of like uh, when, when people um, sleepwalk and things like that, is that sort of uh, – that's obviously going to happen during REM sleep, I imagine. But is that sort of like some in or some inadequacy of the body, like not paralyzing the muscles, so that you can sort of live out what you're doing? Or have you come across that? I'm not a hundred. I'm not. A, no, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, I think it's more um, the the example that I've used before is um, say say for instance you were involved in a car accident and you had the the adrenaline dump and, and the full experience emotionally, chemically, physically that you would have going through that experience. And then that night and the subsequent nights after, you relive that experience in your dream state. Your body will go through an identical physical chemical experience to what you did when you were in that vehicle. So you have those same releases um, of adrenaline and that same actual um, brain chemistry going on. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and I think that that in itself speaks to the the power of the brain um, in terms of well, you, you know, what, what an amazing mechanism it is for you know that 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 that's a way it's being used in a negative context, and it's obviously um, you know I can't imagine you'd be having a great sleep if you were reliving that that experience, and that's where we sort of come into you know, potential issues with post-traumatic stress and things like that. But I think it, it, it also spoke volumes to me about how we can use the brain to manifest and, and use it positively for, for creating positive experiences and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you think people are more um, 
likely to sort of succumb to things like PTSD if they have chronic issues with sleep. So they're not getting that chance for the brain to sort of go through and process things. Therefore, they're going to be more likely to suffer from PTSD. Is that is that a link we could make or? Well, look, unfortunately, um, I can speak about this on two levels. One level is from a study perspective and, and that's exactly right. And and the second level is I've actually had a bit of PTSD myself um, and my sleep has been a significant issue now for me for uh, half a decade. Um, and it's sent me down many, many rabbit holes. Huberman was one. Um, but I, I mean, I, for a period there, I was functioning off sort of two or three hours sleep a night. Um, and it, it got to a point where it was, it was really, really debilitating. Um, you know, you, you, you can function for so long like that, but then, you know, w- when you're, you know, educating yourself or you're even conducting employment and things like that. Um, I, me personally, everyone is, is unique and different. I know there's, there's people out there who probably function quite well on somewhere between two and four hours sleep a night. But I think genetically for me, I've worked out that sort of around that seven to eight hours is, is my optimal functioning point. Um, and so after not functioning for quite a while, it started to have quite a detrimental impact on my health. And I think that there's certainly major correlations between um, poor sleep um, and a vast range of mental health issues, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, post, you know, um, the, the uh, development of PTSD related symptoms, um, things like that. So, yeah, it, it, I, for me, this is a major one for people. You know, I think there's a lot of people suffering um, globally with with poor sleep, um, and I think that where we're going to delve into um, routine or regimen, um, establishing that routine and what's involved, I, th- I think it could be really, really helpful for people. Mick, were you uh, your sleep was that struggling to get to sleep, or were you waking up in the middle of the night interrupted? No, I, w- I would get to sleep pretty quickly um, and then normally within sort of um, 90 minutes to the three-hour mark, I would wake quite abruptly um, and then because of the adrenaline I was feeling um, at that point of waking, uh, you know, it was normally many hours before I would, you know, manage to get back to sleep again Um so, I, I, you know, I, I've tried a variety of things through that period. You know, lay, I think the, the big issue for people who struggle to sleep is they then get frustrated with not being able to sleep, which only exasperates the issue itself. Um, so I, I got to the point where if I did wake abruptly, I'd actually take myself out of bed. Um, and I would then go and do something completely different. Yep. whether it was read a book, uh, put on some TV, something like that, uh, and then I would return to bed once I felt my eyes starting to feel like they, they wanted to get back to sleep again. But I, I had a doctor say to me, and I know Hooverman talks about this as well, your bed is for two things. It's for copulation or it's for sleeping. Mm-hmm. If you're not yep. doing one of those two things take yourself out of it. Yeah. So I, I try and only be in my bed now 
if if I'm if I'm actively going to sleep or I am asleep. Yeah, I'd probably say that your bed's best for just for one thing, going to sleep. I reckon the secret to a healthy sex life is uh, having sex out of the bedroom. Because <laughs> when, I, when I go to bed, all I want to do is go to sleep. I can't be bothered doing anything else. It's probably, uh, probably for another podcast, yeah, though, isn't it? Save that for the kitchen bench. Or the, sex uh, life. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting an explicit mm. on this one, aren't we? So anyway, so as you mentioned, Jonesy, the, the non-REM was the, the deeper um, and physical rejuvenation. Yep. Uh, that and the the REM sleep is where the more mental rejuvenation occurs. Yeah, and if that REM sleep is solid, that's why you wake up refreshed. You know, increased memory, uh, increased learning capabilities, and stuff like that. If that REM sleep is interrupted or it's not quality or deep, then that mental rejuvenation doesn't occur. So that's when you're waking up and you're feeling you know, a bit brain foggy, a bit fatigued. You know, you're waking up. Like, oh man shock and sleep you know and mm. you sort of your day doesn't start off the best so so critical we're getting that mental rejuvenation in that that rem that rem period yeah. if, if we go back to what mickey was talking about there that was probably an issue that needed to be rectified with some doctor's help is that right mick we 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 aren't doctors yeah. at all but yeah yeah, yeah, uh, definitely visit to the GP. Uh, I think we've spoke before about, uh, you know, our interactions individually at times with, with the mental health practitioner. That's something that I've I've utilised uh, quite frequently over the years. So we, we just discussed what, uh, what, my, what my habits were in relation to sleep and, and then really working out a, a, a positive sleep routine that, that, that I could implement consistently day in, day out. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that further down the track, but I think for, for, for issues like that, that might be something that needs to be looked at by a physician or something. But, um, yeah, we'll give some Or maybe we'll a natural health practitioner. We don't yeah, need yeah. to be too uh, sort of like conventional medicine-centric yeah. because yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, supplements and herbs and things like that yeah. that can definitely help. I think yeah. the, the risk if you go to a doctor is that they're going to recommend – you know, more like a like a pharmaceutical, like a Valium oh, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I think yeah, we, I think maybe there's there's better options than just like pharmaceutical drugs because yes. they'll sort of have the sledgehammer effects. But I think sometimes if you maybe you went to a natural health practitioner, they might give you a more gentle sort of yes natural I, I, uh, based therapy. So I oh, guess we've, you know. we've we've talked about sort of even two of our podcast buddies having sleep issues. So you can mm. assume that a lot of people have sleep. Oh issues yeah. And, Massive. And have chronic sleep deficit. Yeah. You know, you don't – that affects the body and the way the body processes carbohydrate or stores carbohydrates, sort of all mm-hmm. alters hormones, you know, that kind of can affect metabolism and yep. weight gain and an appetite and things like that. We did talk about the effects on mood, concentration, memory. Yeah. You know, can lead to stress increase. We talk about the increased frustration of not being able to get to sleep and that being a snowball effect. It's just, you know – Really debilitating, isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't really think about all the things that it can affect. So having having some some things in place, like you guys obviously have had some strategies to get better sleep. So we'll probably we could probably talk about that cre- creating a a decent sleep environment. I, Smithy, I don't know if I cut you off there, but oh no, I was just agreeing with you. Just the 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 detrimental effects of chronic. Um, sleep deficit or, or insomnia is, is terrible. Like, I mean, if you look at the studies, like chronic insomnia, three times higher all-cause mortality 
Is that right? Well, three times yeah. higher. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. You've got three pillars of health and well-being, nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Mm-hmm. And out of those three, I would say that sleep is the, the most critical because if that's affected, then that also affects your ability to exercise. It also affects your nutrition. It affects your yeah. diet. Yeah. Uh, so I would put sleep as the number one pillar in health and well-being. Yeah. Well, sleep is so crucial for the brain. Yeah. I mean, you have that physical repair of the body, but you also have sleep is that time when the brain is actually detoxifying and, and repairing itself and, and recharging itself from a physical point of view. So yeah. you're not getting enough sleep. It's really detrimental to the brain, and then everything's going to be a flow-on effect from there. You're probably not going to feel like exercising as much. You know, you might start having problems with your, your neurotransmitters and getting issues with anxiety or depression. Um, you know, your motivation might go out the window. Then you're not going to eat as well. Yeah, it's a whole snowball effect, yeah. isn't it? And you need, like you say, you need those, all those three to be um, going well. Harmonious. But, but yeah. Yeah, sleep's a – I mean, they even use it as a, as a torture mechanism, don't they? You know, if they want to torture someone, That's you can just right. use yeah. chronic sleep deprivation. You'll, you'll break people. and Yeah. So it, it's really bad, you know, if you so can't get to sleep. So if you have sort of chronic sleep deficit, there, there is a bit of a theory that the primitive man, primal man, may have used some biphasic sleep. I don't know if you guys looked into that or napping. Mm. So sleeping during the day. Maybe, maybe they're up during the night. They're tending to the fire. They're tending to a little human that they've mm. made in the cave or they're protecting their tribe from a bear attack, whatever it might be. So someone's on, on lookout. So they talk about this biphasic sleep pattern or napping during the day. I don't know if uh, if the modern ancestral man could use some of that. I, I, I just cannot nap during the day. I, I, I don't know. Some people can fall asleep and maybe they get in that extra sleep cycle that they've missed out on on the night time. I don't know. What do you guys think about sort of napping? And I, I nap and I love it. And yeah. it's got to be no more than 15 minutes, 20 max. Mm. If you go beyond that, you become drowsy yeah. and, and have a negative effect. But t- even 10 minutes, not even that, even, sometimes even five. A real power nap. A real little power nap. Like just, a and you wake up and you are just totally refreshed, yeah. uh, revitalised. And, yeah, all those European countries that yeah. have an afternoon siesta, mm-hmm. uh, they, they reckon their, their, their work productivity uh, yeah. is so much greater because of the people having a, a refreshed mind in, mm. in the afternoon hours. Root, do you find it? hard to get to sleep when you have an afternoon nap nah. or you can do it pretty quickly yeah i'll just lay down and i because I, I i fall i go to sleep on my back or i sleep on my side but when i nap i lay on my tummy and i just uh, um and i just I, I pass out yeah and then i'll wake up and it's been a real deep sleep and then I, as soon as i wake i get up i don't yeah. i don't lay and doze i just yep. snap out of it is that every day or just use nah, it when you not every day but sleep deprived when i probably just when i feel like it when yeah. i when i need it yeah i don't do it every day uh, definitely not every day, but yeah. yeah, if I feel like I'd love it. to be able to nap during the day. I reckon I, I can't do it. Could I don't? Yeah, I reckon I, I reckon I could. Have, have you tried? I've heard a lot of people talking about the method where if you don't have too much trouble getting to sleep for a nap, actually having a black coffee just before you yeah, take a nap. I've, I've heard this. Ben oh. Greenfield talks about it. And nah. so then, if you if you time it quite well, then obviously you can get to sleep before the stimulatory effect of the caffeine kicks in. Then if you have that quick power nap, so 10, 15, 20 minutes, then you wake up. And the caffeine sort of in full force, mm. and you wake up alert and ready to go, and there's none of that. Because if you sleep too long for a nap, it kills you, right? That's like right. if you go for an hour or something like that, yep. it's like the end of the world. You wake up and you can hardly move, and you're just 
yeah. you're a mess, I reckon. Like it takes you forever to transition. But I can't go that long anyway. It, can't it you? Doesn't, yeah. It's, my body just wakes up after five Yeah, because that would be my risk, I reckon. If I had a nice nap, I might go for like an hour and then you just mm. wrecked. Like, I mean, I've yeah. been a shift worker for a long time and yeah. so I have had times when you fall asleep during the day and if you go too long, oh, it's yeah. a killer. It's a yeah, negative Brutal. effect. Yeah. yeah. No, I'll give that a go. Yeah, it's I, I haven't tried like it personally, but I've I've heard him talking about mm. it. And it's um I probably don't need to because I wake up. Yeah, well, if you're waking up fresh anyway, anyway then maybe yeah, don't even bother. I, I guess but. for someone that does uh, slip into mm. an, an hour long nap, yeah, particularly negative. Uh, yeah, the, the coffee kick might help them might wake help, up yeah. in time. Wake yeah. up, yeah, yeah. Mm. But it was just interesting. I, I picked up on that theory. Or I read that theory about sort of ancestral man being a. You know, having two phases of sleep, one at mm. night and one in the afternoon. Yeah, right. Especially if they were maybe, maybe ancestrally, Rooster, you're a protector. You watched over the tribe, and I was just falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great point you make, mate. Because uh, I have, with some research and listening to things, uh, I have adopted more now some some behavioural things to help my sleep. Uh, which are probably more around the the pr- primitive man sort of thing. Maybe creating more of an environment, like creating thing, an environment, yeah. but also behavioural things. You know, yep. like uh, I'm getting up in the morning now, and as soon as I wake up, I walk out my front door and I look at the because my my house faces the east. I look at the morning sun, yep. and mm. I'm just getting that immediate sunlight. And so, Huberman actually mentions that that is very important, but not even getting it through a window because uh, that actually interferes with the the, the rays that you're receiving. So to, to go outside and get that natural sunlight and not to look into the sun because it can damage your eyes, but, um, you know, looking towards the sun mm. in that direction can help just... Uh, it, it, you, the, the cycle, your circadian rhythm is actually started in the morning. Yes. So um, you're, you're starting it by um, eliminating that melatonin um, release in the morning by seeing the sun increasing your cortisol levels and, and you're kicking off your circadian rhythm. And he, he was saying that if you do that effectively in the morning to start off your circadian, circadian, circadian rhythm, um, then it will work more effectively in the evening when you need it. Mm. found that pretty yeah. interesting. It's almost a mood increaser, I find. You go outside, you look at the sun. Yeah. Maybe if you're a bit groggy or you've woken up a bit on the wrong side of the bed, you go out, you see the sun... It's, yeah, it's almost an immediate mood enhancer, right? It is, hey, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then he also mentions that another thing in, to do in the morning is to increase your core body temperature. And you can do that by the cold water immersion, uh, which we've talked about before, or a cold shower. Uh, and that sort of sounds a little bit counter counterintuitive, but if you are cold, if you immerse yourself in a cold environment, your body core temperature mm. increases to keep your, yeah, your keep body your will warm. shunt all your blood into your organs and, yes. and keep that protect that core yes. and keep that temperature high. Exactly. Yeah. So mm. if you can achieve that early in the morning as well, you can also achieve that through an early morning exercise. It's got to be – the cold has got to – it can't be too long though. No. No, no it doesn't have to be too long. Yeah. Um, but even just uh, some exercise, it doesn't have to be your full daily workout as soon as you wake up, but it can just be something that you do, like a skip rope or um, some push-ups or something like that uh, immediately in the morning to raise that core body temperature. can also help kickstart your circadian rhythm to be more effective in the evening. I don't know if there's much science to it, but I reckon a nice hot cuppa works pretty well as well. Definitely. In the morning. Hot cup of black coffee in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Really gets you. When do you have yours? Immediately after you've woken up or? Oh, no, probably... 
we got a coffee machine that takes quite a while to heat up, like a sort of a traditional coffee machine. So maybe 45 minutes yep. well, sort they of talk. thing, an hour. I don't think you want to put anything in your stomach as soon as you wake up. I'd, yeah. I'd probably ideally wait a couple of hours. But Well, you, you probably yeah, should, yeah. shouldn't you? You want to let your body do its own cortisol release. And yeah. Then that's right, yeah. Maybe exactly. an hour, 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half afterwards yeah. after exactly. you've woken up. And that's yep. where most of the research points to is 60 yeah. to 90 minutes after you've woken is, yep. is when you have your coffee. And yes. It's a little bit long for me. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll push it to an hour. But uh, I like yeah, more within an half an hour of waking up. I'm probably up. going 45 minutes yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Just, just if I had an instantaneous coffee machine, it'd be even harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start out with your little lemon and ginger. Yeah. Mickey, you a coffee drinker, mate? Mate, I've tried to come off the coffee, actually. Yeah. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm a little bit intolerant to coffee, which was potentially one of the things that was impeding my sleep. So if I had uh, anything caffeinated, sort of after even after midday, it was it was really affecting my ability to get to sleep. Yeah. It also makes me uh, a little. It makes me feel a little bit anxious. Um. So yeah, I uh, I've actually tried to remove remove coffee from from my uh, daily intake altogether. Yeah. Right. Coffee's a tricky one for some people. Some people just don't metabolize it, and because caffeine does have that long half life, isn't it interesting? If yeah. you sort of lack that. Um, gene, you can get tested for it. Some people just cannot metabolize coffee and it'll just mess you up. Uh, my wife's the same, Mickey. So, like, she can't have a coffee after about midday or 11 a.m. Otherwise, it's still playing havoc yeah. by the time she goes to bed. Yeah. And, and just some people um, lack that pathway to metabolize some can it properly. Have it before they go to bed. I could yeah. have a coffee, I could have a black coffee and then go straight to bed. Really? You know, seemingly like no yeah. dramas. Maybe yeah. it would affect my sleep if you measured it in terms of sleep quality, but just. Wow. Yeah. And then some people have it. You know, eight hours before, and you're still suffering the consequences. So yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they do reckon that no coffee after two or twelve or two p.m. Yeah, yeah. I but think it's a good idea, isn't yeah. it? Like if you want to get the best sleep. Yeah. So we're talking. We've talked about there what to do in the morning to help our sleep at night. That's pretty good. But what about any more of those, or should we go into the evening? An evening routine. Yeah, evening. Yeah, or even yeah. yeah. Evening, definitely. Well, just just one more for the morning. I think uh, Rue was heading in the direction. He may have even said it in his own way, but something that I do now, which I didn't do before, was as soon as I'm awake, I get up. Mm. Yep. So if, if, it's normally, to be honest, years of getting out of bed to go to training early anyway. I'm normally awake somewhere between sort of 5.15 and 5.45. And... When I was lacking sleep, I would sort of lay there trying to rest and get back to sleep, and now I just get up. Yeah, good point. As soon as I'm awake, I get up, yeah. and I find that that's something Huberman, I think, talks about as well, is, you know, as we said earlier, if you're not asleep, get up, but that's something I do pretty pretty um, regimented. I'm very regimented with now. As soon as I wake up, I get up. Yeah. Yeah, because he mentions uh, like on a weekend when you're, you're more inclined to have a bit of a sleep in on a Sunday morning, that sleep in shouldn't go any more than one hour after you normally wake during the week. So if you yeah. are having a sleep in, just keep it to an hour after your normal waking time and that shouldn't interfere then with your, your sleep cycles. Mm. Yeah, I think there's an argument if you're chronically sleep deprived during the week, there, there can be some catch up sleep on top of that. Yeah. But yeah, I think if you're sleeping well, de- yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it would be. Um, well, actually, you, yeah, Jonesy touched on that briefly, and I think we shouldn't skip over that. Sleep deficit 
is is a very very real thing. Yeah, and it, it ties in a little bit to what Rue was saying, and. I actually applaud Rue because he's clearly very, very in tune uh, with with his own body requirements. So sleep deficit is a scientifically proven, exceptionally real thing for people. If your genetic... Uh, your genetic functioning is reliant, and everyone is uh, individual on this, like I said earlier, but if, if you function optimally on seven hours of sleep and you only get, say, six and a half hours or six hours and 15 minutes or something like that, after a period of time, your body will try and recover that deficit, whether that is multiple day naps uh, or a slightly longer sleep on a weekend or something like that. So I found it very interesting uh, with what Rue was talking about, how he said, no, no, I don't nap every day, but I nap when I feel like I need a nap. And his body wakes him up. And I'm quite similar to you in that regard, Rue. Now I am getting more in tune with my sleep. I'll put myself down for a nap in the afternoon if I feel I need it. But within 15 to 20 minutes, 25 tops, my body can go from what I feel is quite a deep sleep to waking me up. But it's definitely the body recovering the deficit and it will, it will, it will look to do that for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, well, some afternoon, evening tips uh we we talked about waking up in the morning and receiving direct morning sunlight there's evidence to support um being uh out or or observing the sun sun setting sky so Mm -hmm. that actually starts kicking in your brain to start thinking okay things are starting to wind down it's going to get dark it's going to get dark start producing that melatonin now, start kicking in that sleep cycle. Uh, so it doesn't mean going down to the beach every day and watching the sunset over the water. It just means being outside to see the, 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 the different hues. Because uh, they reckon different that... reds and Yeah, blues, because they, lights, you reckon yeah. your eyes, uh, your retina or whatever, uh, receives and then um, receives a different light colours or the light different shades of the different suns that you see. So in the morning, we're seeing the more bright oranges and the reds, uh, which stimulate um, that, that, that waking up process. And in the afternoon, we're seeing the more the pinks, the oranges, uh, yellows, those sort of colours. And your eye recognises that and then informs your brain that things are starting to wind down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, the body is an amazing Crazy, thing, isn't it? Isn't it's it? just in tune with billions of years of evolution. Yeah. So yeah. that's and, and circadian no doubt, rhythm. No doubt that's what primeval man would have, his cycle would have been based on. Yep. The morning sun, the, the evening sun. As uh, soon as it gets dark, they probably would have gone to bed. They yeah. didn't yeah. have light. No. So one of the things I would say would be, you know, minimise sort of a central nervous system stimulus before bed and bright lights Blue light admitting devices. Yeah. There's the even people one. that talk about having your bedroom being pitch black, block out blinds, and they even cover up the little LED lights on air conditioners, like, you know, uh, electronic points, yep. all that kind of thing. And having, I didn't write down the study, but there is a study that people have done on the skin cells of your body, not just your eyes, having photosensitivity. So in the study, they put the light behind the person's knee and that was enough to wake them up. So the, the, mm, wow. the skin cells 
or the skin have receptors for bright light. So that's, you know, the theory behind turning off all your little devices. Obviously, you don't want any EMF devices. No. You don't want your phone next to your bed. Exactly, yeah. Get rid of that kind of stuff. A lot to be said about having like a normal little um, battery ran alarm clock. Yeah, you know? yeah. Even if even it, that, they talk about sort of the red light. You're needing the red light of the, you know, you can get blue or red light sort yep. of having red. If you're going to have a light in your room, it to be red. Uh, and I would even sort of, I would even suggest m- utilising that circadian rhythm or, you know, mellow down once the sun's gone down, take it easy, wake up naturally when the light comes in. Obviously, the modern day man is going to need to, an alarm at some point, but it'd be best to wake up without that blaring yeah, and you alarm. can train your body for that. You Definitely, can train yeah. the more times you wake up at a certain point in the morning, your body clock will assume that wake up time. Yeah, without an alarm clock, but I guess it's just a bit of a risk if you you know got to go to work and you yeah something might happen yeah. that you <laughs> oversleep. Well, I know, and I know the modern ancestral man is going to do some things. You might have to use your computer for work before you're going to bed, but there are some devices you can get. Uh, there's an app called Flux or F.Lux, which is a really good one. It changes the blue light on your laptop to be a, a red light emitting light, yeah. which is better for you to try and help you go to sleep. There's blue blocking glasses you can get. I know they don't look very cool, but you know that kind of imitates some of the the light going down and being darker and maybe more of a, a fire the colours yep. from a fire that yep. probably ancestral man would have sat around before going to bed. Yeah, and making, I think Huberman talks about having a consistent sleep-wake time. You know, you don't want to, like he was talking about the weekend, you don't want to go an hour, sort of sleep in for an hour too long because that will then mess around with your personal circadian rhythm. And mm. so having that consistent sleep time and, yeah, no electronics and TV or mobile. and there, there was a study that he mentioned, and, and it's pretty hard to escape in our modern world, you know, sitting back in the evening and, and maybe doing some work on a computer or watching Netflix on the telly, whatever. There is evidence to show that what we spoke about before about seeing the afternoon sun setting light can actually have a counteractive effect on the blue light that you're seeing late in the evening. So... So if your body's thinking it's that light is sunrise. Is that what you? Is that what you? No, saying? no. It's just so that you know, watching the you know the, the screens at night before bed is not a good thing. Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it interferes with your your circadian rhythm. But seeing that sun setting sky light at that time is enough. Can is enough uh, to counteract right, yep, okay. the effect mm. of you know, potentially counteract the effect of you know later in the evening watching a screen or something like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Modern, that's a modern ancestral man tip right there. Very good. But I mean, yeah. even, even if you're going to watch telly or do something, which a lot of people will, you, you can do things like turn the lights down while you're watching TV. Yeah. So yeah. Don't, don't watch it in a bright room. Yep, exactly. And then 
you're probably not going to be sitting super close to the screen, so you're sitting back a little bit. So yeah. you can at least still minimise the amount of light that's going to come in that's going to disrupt that uh, melatonin and things yeah. like that. One thing I've tried to do is um, make my house a cave. I try to yeah. think about mm. me living in a cave at night. So I turn Embrace off the dark. I turn yeah. off all my my lights. Uh, if I'm watching a bit of telly, which I quite enjoyed doing um, late in the evening, and I'll, I'll roll on the floor on the, on a foam roller and just do some stretching stuff. Um, everything's dark. I like to make it all dark. Uh, I try to bring down the temperature in my bedroom, uh, which is probably a, a thing that's also we haven't spoke about. But about having sixteen a, to twenty degrees, yeah, I think, uh, a, a cool temperature in your room is um, a good thing for yeah. producing melatonin and mm. increasing your sleep quality. Uh, so I try to do that, and they recommend candles as well. So oh, using, candles are real good. Using yeah. candles, obviously, safely uh, in your house so that they don't burn down and and burn something. <laughs> but you can you can set up a candle quite safely. They reckon having multiple candles and in the evening, having that flickering, burning yeah. flame, yep. really, really you know, is conducive to stimulating that that sleep yeah. response. Mm. And, and maybe a plant, mother-in-law's tongue. I don't know if you know oh, that yeah. plant, yeah. which is kind of up and pointy. Yeah, is that the That's humidifying the air? Or something? Yeah, yeah, purifies the air, yeah. gets rid of the toxins, stores them in the plants. A good one. Yeah. yeah. What, one of the things I came across, uh, you were talking about the. Um, sort of having a cool environment and like cooling your body temperature down. What, one of the things that sounds uh, counterintuitive but apparently works is actually having quite a hot bath or shower. So you get in there and you really heat yourself up. But after you get out, that drop of temperature stimulates that same drop that you want to to mm. promote sleep. Okay. So if you're in a very hot shower or a bath, then you get out and you you know into a cooler environment and your core temperature does drop by a little bit. That is that same trigger. For your body to actually stimulate sleep, so yeah, right, yeah, sounds counterintuitive, but a hot shower or yeah. bath, yeah, yeah, and then on on the temperature thing, um, I didn't know this, but Hume, Huberman mentions that uh, you've got sensors in your hands and feet uh, that help uh, distribute Glabarous, heat, skin cells, yeah, and this, they can help distribute or regulate heat. So often, you know, when when you get hot in bed. Uh, and this is one of the st- strategies that I'm trying to employ when I do wake up in the middle of the night is putting a foot, Stick your foot out, or yeah. a hand out of my blankets because I'm thinking that maybe I'm waking up because I'm getting too hot. Yeah. Uh, but he reckons that if you do that, you put a foot or a hand out of the blankets, then that can help cool your body down uh, just by doing that simple little, simple little act. Have you seen those cold pads they use now? No. Some of the guys that have got money to burn, they actually yeah. buy a pad that you oh, put on yeah. top of your mattress that you're essentially sleeping on. And I think it's got a thin layer of water or some sort of liquid in it and it actually circulates it through and it keeps your body at an ideal temperature yeah. for sleeping. Wow. So whether you've got too many blankets on and, you, you know, you might be too hot or maybe you're sleeping next to a partner who, you know, often like one partner wants to have a really heavy doona on and someone wants to have a lighter yeah. quilt or whatever. Yeah. Well, these cold pads that you sleep on will obviously sense what temperature it is and they'll keep your body at an ideal temperature. Wow. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, this would have been fashion now amongst the uh, people that have yeah. lots of money to throw these stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it might it might be awesome to have that, you know, if you are if you run hot and your mm-hmm. partner runs cold and you mm. can't sort of sleep together without yep. getting grumpy, then yeah. who knows, that might be Well, I mean, good. even if it did cost a thousand bucks, I mean, mm. what what price do you put on your health if if poor sleep is ruining your life? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Pony up, get yeah. the money if that's what you need to do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's probably probably cheaper and better options. And we can probably talk about sort of like dietary and supplement things as well a bit later on that might uh, help promote sleep. Well, let's do yeah. that now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's tons, isn't there, for both for getting to sleep and for 
uh, helping promote like more restful sleep through the night. Yep. Yeah. I mean, melatonin supplements are a big one, and I've I've tried those. Uh, not that I want to have too much take them too often mm. i think we've discussed this in previous podcasts how, how do you go with them because i'll let you go and then i'll talk about my <laughs> experience with them uh if I, I take so that in pill format i open up the capsule and i put it in some water stir it up and drink it and i'll pretty much have that at nine o'clock at night before i go to bed at maybe 10 10 30 um and i find that my sleep is uh, when i'm asleep i am out I do sometimes wake up a little bit sort of groggy on it. Yeah, that's a big problem with melatonin, isn't it? The yeah. next day drowsiness or yes. grogginess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't like that feeling, so therefore I've I've limited my use of it, and I'll just really have some in the evening where I've, I really need a good night's sleep. But it does help my quality of sleep uh, when I when I do have it. Interestingly, what I've found is I think the pill that I have has too much melatonin yeah. in it. Yeah, because I can't get to sleep. Oh, um, I've had to sort of rip them in half and only have a little bit. Yeah, I think it was it might have been twelve milligrams. I don't know. If oh, that's really? That's a quite lot. a bit. That sounds like that's a lot. Well, don't they recommend just two or three? Yeah. Milligrams? Well, I didn't realise until <laughs> that had happened, and so th- this is this is the tablet, right? This comes in that size. Yeah. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was two milligrams, but even even then, it it was, and I think even, uh, I I think the melat too much melatonin interferes with the serotonin pathway or something and you get an increase in serotonin. So then well, yeah, it's well, hard serotonin to is a precursor to melatonin. Right. So I was actually going to touch on that. So like if melatonin um, is sort of making you groggy and you're getting some of those um, effects like that, I think sometimes it's really valuable to take uh, some of the precursors. So either L-tryptophan, which is yeah. the amino acid, which eventually down the track makes uh, melatonin. Right. Or one step up from that, which is uh, 5-hydroxytryptophan. Um, they can really help promote good, long, restful sleep. Mm. You're essentially giving your body the building blocks that it needs to make enough um, serotonin and eventually melatonin. Yeah. But you're not necessarily going to get those effects of that sort of sledgehammer of having the actual uh, yeah, melatonin. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of sleep um, supplements um, contain either the L-tryptophan or the 5-hydroxytryptophan. And uh, I actually take uh, 5-HTP. Yeah. Um, everywhere sells it now. Um, and I have amazing sleep and much more vivid dreams. I really, really rate it. Um, probably the one caveat with the, the 5-HTP is if you're taking an, an SSRI, so um, if you have mental health issues and you're having SSRI, you can't take 5-HTP. It's contraindicated. It'll actually, you can actually have problems with too much serotonin. Okay. Um, speak to yeah, your doctor first. Speak to your doctor first, yeah. yeah. If you take um, any medication that affects uh, serotonin pathways then 5-HTP might be contraindicated, but I believe you can still take the L-tryptophan. Yeah, thanks, mate. I'll, um, yeah. I'll have a look into that. Yeah. Yeah, do you get that off um, iHerb? Or I actually get that from uh, Bulk Nutrients in Australia, okay. bulknutrients.com.au. Bulk Nutrients. Um, I just take 100 milligrams a day, yep. and it's really transformed my sleep to the next level. I've always been quite a good sleeper, but I just find my dreams are so much more vivid now. I really enjoy going to sleep. And I can tell the difference because I, I cycle on and off. I think almost all supplements um, you probably should cycle. Yeah. Uh, I think that includes um, HTP. I notice when I cycle off it and then I go back on it and I say, oh, I had the best sleep and really good good dreams. Yeah, right. Okay, um, so it's really uh, deepening your REM sleep. It must be, yeah. 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 I, I don't know what it does, but it really – I mean, I know what it does. It makes you, um, you know, make more serotonin and, and melatonin. But yeah. 
uh, in terms of uh, REM versus deep sleep, I'm not too sure. Yeah. But I, I definitely have vivid dreams. Yeah, which is cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, thanks, mate. I'll take I a note of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the, the hacks that people can use if you don't want to go to the um, to the level of taking melatonin. Um, and it's an over-the-counter um, medication that you can buy. I know melatonin can be both uh, sort of like prescription or over-the-counter depending on the, the potency and stuff you're getting. But Yeah, and I think also your age. Yeah, If you're over 55, you can get it over-the-counter. If you're mm. under 55, you have to get a prescription for it. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, I'm, a, I'm always a big fan of taking the building blocks to let your body do it naturally rather yeah. than actually just giving it yeah, something. Yeah, totally agree, mate. Then you're sort of giving yourself the option of making what is optimal for you. Great point. Um, Great point. So, yeah, both of those, the L-tryptophan and the 5-HTP, are only just amino acids, but yeah. they're going to, you know, make that. Yeah, cool, mate. Good advice. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so just in relation to that melatonin, guys, um, really interestingly, our naturopathic oncologist, when Kim got sick, actually brought a study to us uh, in relation to compounded high-dose melatonin and the reduced recurrence in, in cancer. So we were actually using high-dose melatonin that we had to get compounded over here by script. And we were using that for her sleep and then also uh, as a way of of minimising sort of return disease. Wow. I uh, I guess, ironically, uh, as as you guys have sort of indicated there, she really struggled with that that feeling quite sluggish on on the high-dose melatonin. So another, another, I guess, um, more natural way or, or or plant-based medicine that we utilized was actually THC oil. And we had that made by some friends uh, over over in, in remote Victoria and and that's something that, that wifey has used to assist her uh, with, I guess, uh, not only management of pain through chemotherapy and things like that, uh, but also assisting her uh, with eating, um, you know, minimising the nausea. But one of the primary reasons was actually to aid her sleep, and it and it did that very very successfully. So I think that is another natural, um, another natural medicine uh, that I yeah. think can be utilised as as a way of aiding people, and I think it's a far more healthy option. Uh, than some of these, uh, as Matt indicated earlier, some of these, um, you know, drugs that might be prescribed in the way of Valium and things like that. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mickey. Like, I don't have any direct experience with um, THC for sleep or anything like that, but I would I would say, like, if you're going to say, you know, that versus Valium, like, at least, you know, THC comes from a natural plant-based uh, compound. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, did she have any dramas with the sort of sluggishness with THC um, versus sort of like melatonin obviously can have that sort of hangover effect the next day where you feel drowsy. Was that the same thing with those uh, drops you were talking about that she took or? Yeah, look, she, it definitely wasn't anywhere near as bad as the high dose melatonin. Mm. She, she did say uh, at the start that, that there was a sense of sort of feeling you know, she ne- she needed sort of a good twenty five to thirty minutes to get going in the morning, but then as soon as she was up and at it and she'd been functioning, the the effects wore off pretty much immediately. Whereas comparatively to the melatonin, 
she was really dragging her heels for, you know, sometimes up to two hours in the morning, just really struggling to, to function. So mm. uh, I, th- I think everyone is different and the way that we metabolize these things is, is very, you know, it's very individualized, but uh, certainly comparably to, to melatonin or, or even, you know, the impacts of, of say Valium, for instance, because we've mentioned that it's, it's far less than that in our experience. Mm. I'll tell you a good one for people who have trouble uh, getting to sleep is um, is GABA. I don't know if any of you guys have come across GABA. It's gamma aminobutyric yeah. acid. And so GABA is essentially the sort of active component of Valium, really. So like Valium potentiates um, GABA, but GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So if you take a whack of GABA, and you can buy GABA, it's, it's over the counter. You can get it again from um, bulk nutrients. They sell a GABA powder. If you're a person that has trouble with a racing mind and you can't get to sleep and you take a dose of GABA, that will put you out like a sledgehammer. Wow. It's very, very effective. Mm. Yeah. That, that could yeah, be a bit of an option to um, – Sorry, mate. Go ahead. No, I was taking a supplement there which had a high, had, um, a high component of GABA in it, Matty, and, mm. and it was – it was it was uh, it was explained as being a neural calming supplement. So that that's exactly right, and it definitely had that effect too. Oh, mate, I know people that have taken GABA, and it just puts them out within like fifteen minutes. It's almost like just you know, no matter what you're doing, you're going really? to sleep after you have that. Wow. Yeah, it's it's very very strong. Yeah, it's a strong inhibitory neurotransmitter. So I mean, if you have enough of that, it's yeah, it's it's gonna probably put you to sleep. Hmm. But it's something that people can access over the counter. It's inexpensive. I would argue that it has sort of a similar effect to Valium, but it obviously doesn't come with the, the risks of Valium. Like Valium has quite addictive properties and can have other dramas. Yeah. Whereas I think, again, if you're just taking um, something in a more natural form, it's probably got less side effects. Yeah. I'm sure GABA still could have side effects. You would definitely wouldn't want to take it and be driving a vehicle or doing something like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's an option. Long-term side effects? Would you, would you just you obviously cycle it like everything else? You'd... Yeah, I probably would look at cycling. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think everything is worth cycling just about. Yeah. 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 Jonesy, you I listened think. to Human Sleep Toolkit, didn't you? I did, yeah. I did, to and what did you think about his um his supplement uh um kit? Like he had a, like a supplement protocol there with a few different um subs that he mentions to have in one sort of hit. Did he talk, I'm sure he talked about GABA. Uh he might have, yeah, because yeah. that name rings a bell. Yeah. Um but he he mentions one uh, magnesium theanate. Yeah, mm. and chelate. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Three and eight. Three and eight. Yeah. The good thing about yeah. three and eight, it crosses the blood brain barrier. So it's that's quite, what he quite says. Good, uh, where yeah. that, that's pretty much the only form of magnesium that'll that'll go through the blood brain barrier. Yep. Um, you know, so obviously, um, well, the body and the brain all need magnesium. But magnesium is critical for detox, and one of the main things that your brain is doing overnight when you're sleeping is is detoxifying. Um, right. So you get that glymphatic drainage, the sort of drainage around the glial cells, and you're getting a lot of um, actually like repair of the brain and detoxification. So okay. magnesium is a, a crucial um, mineral in that uh, detoxification um, process. Yeah, right. And, and obviously mag 3 and 8 will cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's super expensive, but probably quite yeah. a good um, form of magnesium. For, yeah, he for was saying um, 145 milligrams of that. Uh, at least you know thirty to sixty minutes before you go to bed. Yeah, I take Mag three and eight every night before bed. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 Right. It's hard to tell if it does anything or not, but I'm yep. sure it can't hurt. Yeah. 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 He mentions another one, um, myo on inositol. 
M-Y-O-N-I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I'd never heard of that one before, but he reckons that's really effective, 900 milligrams, um, 30 to 60 minutes before sleep. Yeah, okay, for sleep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. I haven't come across that in the context of sleep. Yeah. but yeah. he said that was really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, these are, these are supplements that, I mean, I've never used them, but I'm just sort of going by what, what I've what I've researched. Um, yeah, we're not medically medically qualified to recommend these or anything, but they're just things that I mean, I've, I would, I'd I'd probably consider trying them. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they're not medically sort of recommended. No, you know, from uh, us or at all. No, they're over yeah. the counter. You can yeah yeah do your own research. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, definitely at, at your own Work risk with your physician you, if you yeah, need to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yeah. Seek some expert advice. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm big for uh, like adopting behavioural techniques yes. before trying supplementation or, or drugs. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a lot to be said or achieved by doing changing some behavioural things and, and just experimenting with that first. Yeah, uh, then you know, then maybe implementing supplementation in those behavioural uh, adaptions as well. Yeah, I, I would think that some of the the tips that we'd given about sort of no. No devices before bed, making it really dark, rising when the sun comes up, getting outside, seeing the sun, yeah. going to, you know, winding down when it gets dark, trying to avoid your devices. And we haven't mentioned the one of the biggest killers of sleep is alcohol. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is one thing I have uh, reassessed myself because this winter I've been drinking a lot of red wine. So I'll probably drink two, three glasses a night whilst preparing dinner, then have some with dinner. And it took me a while, being stupid, um, to realise that this is probably having an impact on my sleep. Mm. So in the evening, I'm drinking more alcohol than I normally would. I don't normally drink during the week, but this winter, for some reason, I have. I've been really enjoying the reds. And I think that's having a detrimental effect on my sleep. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. We <laughs> Alcohol, we could do it. We'll do a podcast on alcohol, yeah. I think, because... I think we're kidding ourselves about alcohol mm-hmm. as a, as a society. Yeah. I'm going to, I could, I could get on, uh, go down a rabbit hole or soapbox. Are here, you just get on any soapbox? Yeah. I just, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. I'd like a bit of alcohol myself, but we're kidding ourselves. If our, our, our powers that be our health professionals are recommending two drinks a day. Yeah. Come on. That's yeah. a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a class it's one carcinogen. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, it, it's it a ruins poison. sleep. Like it's a you're poison, saying. and We're, there's nothing really beneficial to achieve from alcohol. No, and people say, "Oh, have a have a couple of drinks helps you get to sleep." Well, <sighs> it might help you get. It to sleep. It does help you get to sleep, but, but it, it ruins your sleep long it term. Does, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, definitely ruins your sleep. That's quality. where people get into trouble with it because you can have alcohol; it will help you get to sleep initially. Mm. Yeah, but you get a really poor night's sleep. Oh, yeah, mate, and that's one thing I've been experiencing. So if I've had a, a, a night on the beers. Mm. My night's sleep, I'll, I'll pass out, boom, I'm, I'm done. But then I'll wake up m- five times yeah. throughout the night. Sweaty, dry mouth. Going for a wee, you know, like getting rid of the alcohol. Like, yeah. Uh, it just ruins yeah. your night's sleep. And then what, next day I'm not hungover, but I'm just I'm just knackered yeah. from yeah. lack of sleep. Yeah. But it's it, a yeah, even, oh, well, that's a bit of a hangover anyway, isn't it? You know, lack of sleep, that whole, yeah, what it's doing to your body, whether you, you know, your hangover is a dirty headache and throwing up. You, there is a hangover from the night before. I, it's it's really funny. I mean, if someone said to me, take a pill, this would be pretty good for an hour or so, but tomorrow morning you're going to be ill. You're going to have a real headache. You probably won't come good till about three or four in the afternoon. No one's going to do that. No. To have a couple of beers 
three or four, mm. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. We do that all the time. It's, it's just, a social it's, thing, isn't it? It's it is. It's that social. Yeah. 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 You, try, you try not having alcohol anywhere. Mm. You know, like, no, no, I'm not drinking. Or you go to a party, you're not drinking? Oh, yeah. Look at this guy. Especially Australian yeah. culture is quite yeah. bad. We're, we're pretty big drinkers Everything. in the scheme Everything. of the, the worldwide. Um, yeah. That's why the zero so. alcohol um, drinks are, are great. You know, you just you hold the, hold the stubby there and you hide the, <laughs> label, the, the label, and uh, <laughs> it looks like you're having a couple of beers. Yeah. But you know, you can. I, I can't claim with you, lads. I went to a Christmas party with you guys about three or four years back, and um, I didn't want to drink that year because I yeah, just it was my thing. I, I think I don't know if you someone <laughs> busted me. Oh, oh really? yeah, that's right. Someone busted me. I won't go into it, but I basically <laughs> I had I had stubbies of um, kombucha, and I was putting them in like a stubby holder. And I was just necking down, just like I was having a light round stubs all day. I was drinking kombuchas all day. But isn't that Was that bad. the same night That's after bad. you, same night you sculled a half a bottle of Sailor Jerry's? Must have been a different uh, <laughs> Christmas party I've had. I've had ups and downs over the years of the Christmas parties. But that year, I was just, for, for myself, I wanted to do something. I wanted to observe yeah, like a Christmas party right. without um, oh, alcohol. You, man. And wow. uh, I actually had a really great night, yeah. but I was on the kombuchas. I would have been very well hydrated with a very uh, rich microbiome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and blood sugars would have gone through the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All of that. Mm. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so definitely alcohol, getting ah, back to the sleep. Well, d- let's do a podcast on alcohol. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. Because yeah. Yeah. I'd like to Maybe we should have a beer block. while we do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do it. <laughs> or a yeah, glass of red wine or yeah, whatever. Let's be yeah. really hypocritical. Just, just be hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> well, just see I mean, how our cognitive decline yeah. goes and we can't well, talk. Like, and, yeah. From a health point of view, there's arguments about, you know, a small amount of red wine and cardiovascular health and that. So we won't go into it now. but We will in the future because I think that is bullshit. Yeah, let's – let's well – there are things that you can do behaviourally and, and nutrition-wise to counteract the effects of alcohol, yeah. um, you know, with, with regards to gut biome. But we'll, we'll talk about that on, on another podcast. Let's go for, uh, we'll do an alcohol one soon for yeah. the listeners. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That'd be a good one. Yeah, But yeah. it does affect your sleep, getting back to the sleep. Yeah. I reckon, quality, I reckon one so. thing on sleep um, we haven't touched on really is your sleep positioning and also your breathing during sleep. Oh, yeah, wow. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, sleep, like apnea is, is a whole rabbit hole that we could go down. That would probably be a whole podcast. But yeah. there's interesting research on sleep positioning. Um, and nasal breathing. and Nasal breathing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You really don't want to sleep on your stomach. Really promotes very poor sleep. Makes it very difficult for you to breathe. Um, apparently the best position is uh, to be a side sleeper. And and the best of the best is apparently to sleep on your right hand side. So if you want to have right? the best quality sleep, wow, um, sleeping on your right hand side. Is I've that actually to do found with pressure on the heart, or because the heart's on slightly on the left hand side, or yeah, I don't know if it's um yeah, that's actually a good point. It may be yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. That's just what the research says, and they've analysed all the different patterns of sleep. If they um you know look yeah. at it over a big population, then people that sleep on their right hand side get the best sleep, mate. but. Because that's it's an interesting point you say that because that's where I get my best sleep is on my right hand side. Yeah, I can I, only sleep on my right. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking about it, and I mostly sleep on my right hand side um, yeah. as well. But the other thing that I've done that has helped with my sleep, and I'm not doing it at the moment, is actually use those breathing strips that go over your nose overnight oh, yeah. that open up your nostrils. Yeah, yeah. it 90s, just promotes getting a bit 90s more air. Footy was that? Did you have plenty of those playing footy in the nineties? No. Oh, you didn't. What the nasal strips? Yeah, yeah. It used to open up your. Nasal. Oh, it makes a big difference though, yeah, don't you does. reckon? Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. promotes nasal breathing rather yeah. than mouth breathing. Yeah. Because yeah, like I think mouth focus. breathing, and you know, we know mouth breathing is not good for, for dental health and um, a range of other things, but I think actually helps just for your quality of sleep. So yeah. I've found uh, those those nasal strips are, are quite good for 
just getting better restorative sleep. Yeah, well, they the, the theory, the research suggests that uh, if you can sleep as a nasal breather, uh, the quality of sleep is better. Yeah. It also, also prevents you from suffering those sleep apnea type things. Mm. So, like you know, gagging on your on your breath. Yep. Um, when you're breathing through your mouth and stuff like that. So, and I've I've heard somewhere that uh, you can practice um, becoming a better nasal sleeper if you when you're working out or doing exercise is try to uh, breathe through your nose only mm. so not breathing it all through your mouth so th- there's a some correspondence between exercising as a nasal breather only and that can help you adopt a nasal breathing uh, habit whilst you sleep there's an excellent book called the oxygen oxygen advantage by patrick McEwen. Mm. real good you can get it out from the public library if you want but Ooh. that's all about breathing through your nose and he talks right. about exercising and he talks about taping your mouth at night mm. Yep, to train your body to breathe through your nose. Yep. How would you go, Mick, uh, doing a long-distance run, just breathing out of your nose? Be a fair challenge, I'd say. Yeah, I think it would be a fair challenge. Uh, I think it would be quite difficult, but I, th- there is certainly research that supports... Uh, that people who uh, train over long periods through through nasal breathing uh, are actually uh, have have better performance. So yeah, right. uh, it's it's something I definitely concentrate on with with my uh, with my long slow runs is keeping the mouth closed and, and breathing breathing through the nose. Um, and uh, but but I've actually got the big race this Sunday, boys, and I can assure you that it'll probably be all through the mouth, the breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, do you use those uh, nasal strips to just open up your uh, nasal passage a bit? I don't. Uh, w- one thing I did use a while back uh, was it was an oxygen restrict restriction mask. When I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Uh, it's it's just it's basically a, a face piece. Uh, it wraps around um, and goes around your ears, and you can adjust the nozzle at the front, and it restricts the amount of air that you can actually suck in. Um, and so the, the theory behind that is that if you, I, I would use that. Uh, at a variety of different times. Uh, sometimes I used it during my intervals. Other times I used it while I was in recovery. Um, but that, that's a whole other concept. Mm. But, yeah. but I guess it ties in with breathing, not really with sleep. There's a lot of uh, devices and things that can help people sleep. And, and if those fellas are out there that are suffering from sleep apnea, I uh, definitely would recommend getting it addressed. Uh, you can go to the local chemist and they can help you uh, do a, a sleep assessment. Uh, my brother, one of his close mates, died at the age of 42. I think he was quite a heavy fella, but he died in his sleep from sleep apnea. Just, wow. just stopped breathing. Um, and that was just devastating. Like, you know, young family, uh, one of those things that you just don't really think about addressing. You know, yeah. you just... Oh, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's only your missus that says, oh, I thought you were going to die last night. And sometimes my wife says that. She says that I stop breathing uh, and then I'll sort of <coughs> gasp for a, yeah. for a breath. And it's only really when I'm on my back. Uh, yep. But then when I go over in my side, it stops. I've experienced She had her hands over your mouth though, didn't she, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
Uh, definitely, there are things that fellas can do to get it, go, go and get it checked out, and yeah. I definitely recommend it. I mean, it's we've really insidious, a, isn't it? The oh, sleep apnea because you don't yeah. really realise. Yeah. Maybe the only symptom might be that you just feel lethargic all the time, and yeah. you're not feeling like you get a, a rested yeah. sleep. And, um, your, and your partner is probably the best gauger yeah. to, to give you that information because yep. you yeah. don't realise it's happening. It's so bad for your cardiovascular health, and you, just your risk of um, heart attack and stuff like that yeah. goes up. You yeah. can get a test, yes. a sleep apnea test. You can, yeah. And you get, you know, electrodes put on you. You've got yep. to sleep with a little. Yeah, yeah. You can go. And you can go right into hospital and do a high level one, or like yeah. Ruth said, you can do one through the chemist. Some some chemists will give yeah. you like a take home yeah. one that you can Doctors do. Doctors will give you one. Yeah, it's very, it's very worthwhile if yeah, you've got any, so. any doubts. You yeah. need to get onto that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. really do. And even just try little things. If you can't be asked going down the chemist or going through the whole process, just try little things like, like you mentioned about taping your mouth shut and trying that nasal breathing or trying the strips over your nose to increase your nasal cavity. Mm. Uh, we're a good friend of ours that we know, um, he's he's adopted, well, his wife's told him that his snoring is too bad. Um, <laughs> he'll admit he's put a little bit of weight on. Um over the last few months, but he uh, he's been using this device that you can get at the chemist, a box full of them for thirty odd dollars, called Mute M U T E, and it's like a little nasal clip, and it goes into your oh, nostrils, yeah, yeah. and then it um, opens up like a like a butterfly sort of clip, mm. um, and it stretches your nasal passages uh, outwards, and that can help uh, open up your pa- uh, nasal passages, and therefore increase your ability to nasal breathe whilst you're asleep. So Give that a go. Um, I'm actually going to head down to the chemist and get some just to try it out. I, I've been thinking of trying those out too. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah Un- uncomfortable, do you reckon? Or having something poked up your nose? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He, he reckons yeah. uh, it has uh, affected him a little bit. Like uh, He's got used to it though. Yeah. Um, so I guess you, you can. Sort of I guess like anything. Yeah. Do it for long enough. And yeah, yeah. Get used to it. Worth a try though. It's really I mean, important yeah. though. Like if you swear you pay eight hours a night, you're spending one third of your life asleep. So you may as well do it well. That's right. right. And what about your partner? Make sure it's you restorative. Know, sometimes oh, I do yeah. feel sorry for my wife, you know, having to put up with mine. Yeah. Uh, it, I, it must affect their sleep quality too. I feel sorry mm. for your partner. <laughs> I think we can't emphasize enough, guys, the importance of sleep and and you know, the correlations with reduced mortality, you know, um, early death. Um, this is a really, really pertinent issue where you hit it on the head earlier when you said of the, of the three pillars of health, it's probably at the top. And so I think we can encourage our listeners that if, if you are struggling with sleep, try and implement some of these uh, behavioral changes that, that we've discussed. And if you're still not getting there, then do seek some advice from either an alternative health practitioner or a GP or uh, whatever your issue might be. If it's if it's psychological, maybe find some help, get someone that you can speak to. Yeah, good call. But we cannot emphasize enough, can we, guys, the, the importance of quality sleep and, and making this really of the utmost importance. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably. I know Smithy likes to finish, but that. Hey, but be before we do, oh, before okay. we do, I've always been intrigued by the concept, and uh, I'm sure you guys experience this. After you've had sex and you've blown your load, here we go. <laughs> you pass out into a deep sleep, and I've uh, coming into this topic. I thought, wow, that's a little topic that I'd really it's like ancestral. have a look into. It is ancestral. Yeah. It is totally ancestral. There is. Um, Scientific evidence and uh, evolutionary evidence to support this fact that after a man's orgasm, he passes out into a deep sleep. Mm. So I'll get my my facts right. Let me just put my glasses on. The scientific evidence shows that male orgasms uh, release uh, certain hormones, oxytocin, uh, vasopressin, uh, in conjunction with prolactin. Mm. 
these hormones are related to the production of melatonin and increase immediate um, sleep potential. And just on a side note, those hormones are released four times higher after sex orgasms than a masturbation orgasm, mm. which probably explains why you can have a quick, a quick uh, empty and uh, be on your way. But after a what? sex orgasm, those are four times higher, those hormones released, therefore producing your, your sleep. Full, your sleep um, Why do they suggest state? that that happens to males and not females? And well, is it an evolutionary ev- trait? Let me get on to the evolutionary oh, uh, I'm setting things. you up there because I know. Thank you, mate. There, <laughs> there are two, there are two uh, proposals, uh, evolutionary-based. Ancestral mating strategies included women having multiple sex partners. Now, this probably doesn't put the women in a good light. Um, <laughs> multiple sex partners to increase the likelihood of conception. Right. So the man falling asleep after sex enabled her to get out of there and move and on. find another guy. Wow. Potentially. <laughs> potentially. Now, I'm not saying anything about... Yeah, for you, girls. Yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. anything disparaging about fame. This is going back to primeval days, evolutionary. Mm. The more... You can't argue evolution, mate. The more sensitive, more um, uh, emotional evolutionary theory... Uh, espouses that man's primary goal to produce uh, as many offspring as possible uh, after sex, forcing him to sleep, ensures he remains by the woman's side. That is, oh. if she's still there, still there. she hasn't she's taken, taken off. off. So by having him fall asleep, he remains in situ by her side, therefore um, producing um, a, a relationship base of the man and woman and increasing the, the likelihood of uh, their offspring surviving. Wow. So back in primeval days, a child, a, a, a newborn child, has got a greater chance of survival when there are two parents looking after Yeah, makes sense. After him, after that, that child. So having the man and the woman hanging around uh, creates a bond. And mm. there's actual evidence to support this evolutionary theory. This evolutionary theory. That oxytocin... That oxytocin and vasopressin are linked to emotional attachment. Yeah, there totally. Yeah. So those hormones are released after a male orgasm, mm-hmm. and that g- explains the theory as to why you're a little bit more loving after a sexual experience than normal. So those hormones yeah. produce that feeling of love and, well, and connection. Uh, well, oxytocin is that one like the skin-to-skin contact when the mother births the child and then the child goes to the to the breast and you get that skin-on-skin contact and you get the release of oxytocin. So, Yeah, right. Yeah, similar sort of thing, I guess, yeah. sort of bonding. and Yeah. yeah. I like that theory, that evolutionary theory. I yeah. think it's pretty cool. That's Evolution cool. is cool. Yeah. Ancestral man. So there you go. Cool. That's a total relation to the ancestral modern man. So mm. next time you've you've done the deed and you've blown your bolt just think about that as you're um as you z off into la la land <laughs> <laughs> and you're totally incapacitated well very good very good <laughs> and your missus is out the door yeah <laughs> or strangling oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well yeah. G- good way to finish with uh maybe we should have a podcast on sex definitely mm. we should It'll only be a very short yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a minute long. <laughs> this won't take long, did it? Uh, well, anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, modernancestralman at gmail.com. Flick us an email. Let us know what you think. Till next yeah. time. Cool. Good stuff. See you then. See you, boys. See you later.
Get your air guitars ready.